Hey, uh, we're going to have a good time today. What's going to happen is I want to unwrap this big idea about leading with the why. We'll do that for a few minutes. Then transition uh, in the middle of the teaching and give you some seed thoughts and open up some ideas about developing a leadership pipeline. Never too early to do that. So if you're here and you're a church planner or you're a pre-church planner and it hasn't happened yet, uh, it's never too early to consider how you're going to develop leaders. And then uh, about the last 20 minutes, we'll see how that flies. I'd like to open up uh, for some Q&A. So be thinking, and you're all leaders, so I know there are going to be brilliant questions. And we'll open up for some Q&A. Let's, uh, let's just check and see kind of who's in the room. How many of you are here and you are church planner? Let's go from either um, planning stages you haven't launched yet all the way up to two years. Up to two years, I'd say, I'd say you're still in the planting stage. So up to two years, church planners, raise your hand. How many have got in the room? Come on, give it up for these guys. Come on. In about a third of the room, that's awesome. Okay, so how many guys are in the stage, the formative years, your church is between two years and seven years old? Lift your hand, two to seven years old. All right, you're still here. Hallelujah. You're, you're doing good. How many of you are, are served a church, you've been there longer than seven years? Lift your hand, pastor church. Okay, good. It's about a, a good cross-section all the way across. So uh, we're going to speak to all areas and seasons in church planting and development. Uh, I believe God's going to use our time. I feel like and there's some technical stuff, and I'm going to try. I've got some technical devices up here I'm going to try to use. And I'm not a techie guy, so really get, call your intercessors. Um, but I believe in the context of all the information we'll share that I, I, I've got something within the message that's really going to resonate in your heart as I talk to you about leading with the why. And uh, I believe anytime we have a session like this, it will invite the Holy Spirit, and, and we shall, that He has the unique ability to speak to everyone right where you're living and to customize the message for your scenario, your timeline. So as we share today, I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to speak to you about your church, your team, and where you're at in the journey. Amen? Amen. Spirit, Father, we just thank you for this time. Lord, we know that any time we set aside time and space for you, it becomes holy. That's the definition. So this is a holy time, and we set aside these moments to learn how to develop our teams and to grow your church, that we might affect our cities. Lord, I just pray that every person in this room realizes how valuable they are in the scope of what you're doing in the planet in these days. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit resonate in every heart. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Come on. Well, uh, leading with the why. Today I want to spend a little time talk about a better way to lead, a stronger way to lead, and then we'll uh, play that into in development of leaders. And here's the big idea. Here's the moment. Let's see if this works. Are you ready? Oh, it did. Hallelujah. All right. We want to clarify the why and then lead from there. Clarify the why. Now, if I ask all you guys in the room, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you planting a church or why does your church exist? Most of us would probably come up with a pretty quick answer, wouldn't we? And most of those answers might have to do with Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. Well, God's called me. Our city needs Jesus. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, we could, we could give that why. But something happens in church planting and in church development is the more people that show up and the more resources that show up and the more options that appear, pretty soon your why can get diluted. And you can find yourself doing things that you have to stop and scratch your head and say, and why are we doing that again? And you can begin to manufacture energy and spend a lot of time and effort on things that really are not at the core value of why God sent you to that city. I don't think you can ever spend too much time clarifying and really imprinting the why upon your people. You guys know how vision works. Vision leaks. So you got to keep preaching vision to the people you're leading. And just about the time you're exhausted talking about the vision of the house, they just start catching it. And when you cast vision, implement vision, reiterate vision, what you're doing is you're telling people, this is why we exist and this is what we're going to do. So that's what I want to talk about today. And uh, here's, here's how it happens. When we clarify the why, it will bring clarity and direction to the what. Now, here's what we do at conferences. I've been to a million conferences. I love going to conferences because I love preachers. I love pastors. I love hearing the word of God. But here can be a trap. 
You go to a conference and you find out how great churches function, right? And you want to know what they're doing. What is Highlands doing to create the church they're creating? Or what is Elevation Church and Stephen and the guys down there doing? And what are they doing and how are they doing? Uh, and so we learn a lot of what and how. But if you don't connect the what and how clearly with God's um, why, the God-given why for your community and your ministry, you can, you can burn a lot of excess energy. So we want to dig into that a, a little bit. Um, what is... Um, as far as what your why is, it is connected to your mission statement. So let me just ask you, and I won't have everybody quote theirs out loud, but think about this for a moment. What is your mission statement? Do you know what that is? You should, especially if you're a church planner. Um, in fact, do we have any volunteers in the room you would just be bold enough to quote your mission statement? Just raise your hand. One guy. We need revival. Okay, go ahead, bro. In the hat right here. Come on, all right. Mission state. Now, Father's house, the Father's house exists so that people far from God will find life in Christ. Okay? So we teach that to our staff. We teach that to our team. The Father's house exists. We are planted so that we'll reach people far from God. They'll find life in Christ. So we're going deep so we can reach out and we're all looking up. All right? So we do that over and over again. Why? Because we want people to be focused on what we're doing and how we're doing it always has to come back to the impetus of the why. What has God called us to do? Why are we giving our lives for this thing? Amen? So, and then the third one is when we clarify the what, we can best strategize and implement the how. Now, the how for everyone in the room, depending on the age of your church, the size of your team, the amount of resources you have, the dynamics, are you a set-up, tear-down church, are you, you know, remodeling a shopping center, are you building from the ground up, uh, all those things, there's variables that affect how we do it. And so I want to just uh, look at a couple of these for a moment, look at what and why we're doing. I think this first one will affect all of us. And so as far as what we do... We passionately invest our lives and resources to build a local church. How many say you're on that team right there? That's what you're doing. You're passionately investing your life to, and resources to build a local church. But the reason you're doing it is this very strong why right here. The local church is the hope of the world. It is God's plan A for redeeming cities. How many of you guys would agree with that statement right there? You believe that. The local church is the hope of the world. If I didn't believe that... You know, our church, we just turned 20 years old. We planted, uh, started out, I was, a, I was a reluctant church planner. I was a worship leader gone rogue. And I got invited to a prayer meeting one night. And it's me and seven other adults sitting in the living room. And they said, bring your guitar. So there I was, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. And uh, we started worshiping. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to plant a church in this city, kind of a random city. Our main campus is a city called Vacaville. I would never throw a, a, an arrow you know, or a dart in the map and go there, but God called us there. And what happened is God put a desire to build His church so strong in my life that I've spent the last 20 years in my life building the local church, passionately investing all my time, life, resources, and family. Why? Because I really do. My why is strong. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I believe it's the best chance your city is ever going to have to hear the message of Christ and go from darkness to light. It's what you're carrying in your city. The why is huge, right? Now, if I really truly believe that, you know, maybe just sitting in a designer coffee shop and debating Reformed theology with bearded colonists was the best way to do it, okay, never mind. Come to find out, it's a colossal waste of time. But anyway, so I want my I want my why to be strong. All the guys in the northwest will really enjoy that. So <laughs> let me just give you a few. So I go to our team now and I say, hey, this is several months back. We started really unwrapping this thought of leading with the why, and we had some great leadership discussions. I said, Here, here's your assignment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to articulate the best you can what it is you do and why you do it. Make it concise, make it inspiring. So we had all the pastors, leaders, and ministry leaders give the what and the why. Here's just a few of them run through these. The growth track. How many of you guys do a growth track and plan on it? I don't think you can beat it. It's a great system. So here's what we do. We facilitate four steps for people to discover their purpose. Here's why we do it. 
People's lives flourish when they know God, they find freedom, they discover the purpose, and they make a difference. Here's another one, starting point. Here's what we do. We're going to create a safe environment for those seeking, starting, or returning to church. And here's the why. Those coming to Christ or returning to Christ need to be established in their faith. Here's another one. Church online or live stream. Here's what we do. We're piping our worship experience into rooms, lowly, lowly. And the why. We want people to encounter the reality of God regardless of location or situation. Connect in. Whether you have a Connect tent, a Connect booth, an information table, this is a big one. We warmly welcome and personally invite everyone to take a next step. And here's our why. We want to create an irresistible environment where people feel at home. How do we believe that's important? We want to create an irresistible environment. So in our culture, in our church, we spend a lot of time. Now, when you get down to what you do and how you do it, the amount of time, resources, inspection, discussion, tweaking, and fixing will all be determined by the power of the why. So if you come to the Father's house, when you get before you drive in the parking lot, you're going to see happy people with welcome signs and parking lot attendants and greeters and ushers and security and people making good coffee. And all those things are very strategic. But it's not just so, hey, you know, we're looking for a place to put dream teamers, you know, and, and hold a sign, stand over here. Our why is strong. We want people to have an irresistible uh, attraction to what God is doing in the place. We believe the church should be the most irresistible, attractive place on the earth. How about you? So when people come to your church, they're going to feel at home. It's a very strong why. We don't want to put out repellents, you know, in the lobby or the parking lot or a lack of love and connection before people even walk into the room. So, so that's pretty strong for us is developing that why. Um, and, and like I said, when your why is strong enough, you're going to do whatever it takes to pull it off. Now, here's, I'll do one more. This one is huge for us. Uh, worship ministry, weekend experiences. You know, there's a lot of moving parts in the church, right? Small groups are important. Outreach is important. Grow track, connections. You have to celebrate recovery. And, you know, intimate encounters, marriage ministry. So many moving parts that you'll add, especially when you speak to the church planners, as you develop kind of layers of ministry. But you can never replace what God does on the weekend. Amen? Yeah. Think about this. We have this net where you open up a middle school or a high school or you know, a permanent facility if you have one. We have this opportunity for people to come in to encounter the presence of the living God. I love that. You know, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it's talking about the gifts. And it says when there's a spirit of prophecy that unbelievers... They'll walk into your gatherings and they'll fall on their knees and they'll confess their sins and they'll say, truly, God is among you. If I could pray something over you and just dream big for you, it would be this. When people walk into your church plan, when they walk into your community, they would say, God is in this place. He is truly among you. So here's what we do. We create environments for people to encounter the reality of God. And here's why we do it. Lives are forever changed in His presence. Now, if our why is strong enough, okay, why determines investments. So, so we're huge on this. I mean, everything from great sound to lighting to band being on point to atmosphere. Why? Because we want an unrestricted and undistracted atmosphere for people to encounter the reality of God. In fact, our mission statement is that. People encountering the reality of God. I mean, excuse me, our, our vision statement. So our mission, the Father's house exists so that people far from God can find life in Christ. But the way we're going to apply that principle is people are going to walk into the building and meet with a living God through an atmosphere of worship. Now, when your why is strong enough, you're going to invest the time and the resources to pull off the what and the how, and you're going to tweak it. So why is the why so important? Why am I going on this rant? Oh, here's a few thoughts. People do not follow what you do, they're going to follow why you do it. Alright? It's just, it's a fact. You know, most of your church knows what you do if they go very long, and if they attend for a few months, they're going to know how you do it. But do, do the people that are following the community, do they really know the why? Because that's down deep, that's what they're following. People do not invest in what you do, they invest in why you do it. Let me just share a recent example of that. Uh, we're adding some buildings on our main location, and 
right now we're getting ready to pave a few hundred more parking places. And we need to raise another million and a half dollars or some crazy amount of money. How many of people are not motivated to buy asphalt? Just a tip, if you haven't figured that out. Come on, church. We're going to buy some asphalt. Who's with me? Crickets. Yeah, they're not okay. But here, here's what we explain. Every parking space, there's going to be a car with one and a half, not actually a half a person. That's the numbers that crunch. 1.5 people come to every car that goes in your parking lot. So I said there's going to be people, hundreds of people, that are not here now because they can't find a parking place or it's too inconvenient or they don't want to ride a shuttle. And when we pay this new parking lot, hundreds of people that are far from God are going to come into the room and they're going to experience the presence of God's worship. They're going to hear the preaching of the Word. They're going to come to Christ. Their marriages are going to be healed. Their lives are going to be changed. And that is why we invest in asphalt. Now, when you preach the why, people give to the why. That's just what they do. One more. People do not commit to a what or a how, but they will lay down their lives for the right why. Do you believe that? They're not, they're not just committed to what your church plan's going to do or what your church is doing, but they will lay down their lives for the right why. It's amazing that without, without advertising or without phone calls or social media, on a hot August day in 1963, 250,000 people traveled by bus, by car, they walked for hours, and they stood on the lawn in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., to hear Dr. Martin Luther King give his incredible I Have a Dream speech. But those 250,000 people did not know that it was the I Have a Dream speech. You know why they were there? Because the why of Dr. King resonated in the nation, and it was the people's why. And people, people will lay down their life for the right why. They will follow the why. Now, the way this applies to you as church planners, and you might say, well, Dave, yeah, we know our values, we know our why. And uh, they're so important that we have our, our values on banners around the church. Or maybe you put your values and your why on t-shirts and hats and witnesswear. And, uh, and I think all that is good. If you walk down the halls of the Father's house, you, you would see our value statements and our vision statements and our why. You would see it all over the place. But here's the thing, church planner, leader, pastor. doesn't matter how much we print it or put it on banners or brochures until it's resonating in us, it won't move people. But if your why moves you, if it causes you to lay down your life, now go ahead, then put on banners and t-shirts and hats. But if the why moves you, it's going to move people. And so we lead with the why. We lead with a strong motivation of what God is doing in our life. Uh, in Malcolm Gladwell's bestseller, Blink. Has anybody read that? It's a pretty good read. His thesis is this. That we make most of our decisions based on what moves us and what we think about an opportunity, an investment, a relationship, a new person or adventure. And although there is time and place for due diligence, the way we're wired as human beings is this. We make decisions and commitments not based on hard facts, but on what we intuitively feel. And it happens in a blink. Isn't that amazing? And Simon Sinek, not to go too deeply into cognitive psychology, but Simon Sinek says this, the power of what motivates people is not opinion, it's biology. So let me just share this with you. I think it's up here. This is your brain. This is your brain in the yard. Old school. Okay, now. Yeah. So I want you to think about this and, and the two parts of your brain, uh, the way they're wired. I want to get this straight and read, read it for you. The neocortex operates on the what level? It's responsible for rational and analytical thought and language. Okay, the neocortex. Analytical thought is where you process language. It's where you do math. All you C-type people in the room, all you administrative people in the room, you have an enlarged neocortex. Congratulations. And this is where you process things like flow charts and uh, risk management and you do math problems and you learn Spanish. It all happens in the neocortex. But this other part of the brain, the limbic brain, this is your decision command center. 
This is where you intuitively make decisions, and it's, uh, it's the part of the brain that directly controls behavior, decision-making, and commitment. Now, this part of the brain, the limbic brain, it has no ability for language. Okay, language is figured out and processed in the neocortex. But here's where people make the decision. You ever ask somebody why they love somebody? Why they give their passion to something and they can't articulate it? And they'll come down to this, I just had, I just had a gut feeling here. I just, I just love her or him or... You know, people make a decision, research has been done. People make a decision whether they're going to commit to a church when they're first time guests. Some say within the first 10 minutes. But they always make a decision before the service is over. Some, some, you know, folks who study just deep and hard would say that even before the service begins, they already have a strong propensity to where will I come back or not come back? Based on what? Based on the culture, the atmosphere, and it's something that they can't articulate. See, because you're, you're not you're not building a culture for doctrine. You're not building a theological platform and saying, hey, come to our new church plan because we're doctrinally correct, theologically sound, and hermeneutically, and homiletically, and whatever ludically, you know, accurate. What you're doing is you're building a culture. You're building an environment that people step into, and they intuitively resonate with what's going on. And I've seen people at churches, and they say, well, hey, you know, I just wasn't feeling it. And they'll walk into another church and say, hey, as soon as we got in there, about three songs in or halfway through the message, I knew I was home. Now, here's, here's where this applies to you. People are not connecting to what you do. They're not connecting to you as a leader uh, as to how you do it, but they are connecting in the limbic part of their brain to the why. When the why is strong in you, you can't stop it. It's going to come out. If God's called you to reach your city, if God's called you to bring racial reconciliation or to rescue girls and young guys in human trafficking, whatever your why is, when it's strong enough, it's going to exude out of you at such a level that people with like heart and mind are going to connect to you. That's why David had those mighty men in the cave. There was something about God's divine call on David to be the king of Judah and the king of Israel and to bring the presence of restoration in that these guys would lay down their lives for a guy that was a wanted man and the entire army of Israel was trying to take him out. When your why is strong enough, people are going to connect to it. Have you ever thought about this? God has used the foolishness of preaching to save the perishing. And, and for church planners, I mean, if you pastored any length of time at all, you stand up some days and you realize, Paul was right. This is pretty foolish right now because I feel foolish. You know, you're just standing up there with a microphone. You're armed with, with nothing but a microphone and a PowerPoint presentation. And there's a couple thousand eyes staring at you and think, this, why do I do this? And we have people in our church whose IQ levels and vocabularies are far exceeding anything I'll ever reach. But yet God changes them. Why? Because we are communicating, not intellect to intellect, we are communicating spirit to spirit. But I would say we're communicating to the inner part of a person. If you study the Greek understanding of heart, the Greek word for heart is labab, and it means the very center of a person. And the, the Greek mindset was, was this, your entire being is contained in that inner man. And that inner man is what makes a decision for Christ. It's where the preaching goes past the intellect and hits the spirit. And it's where your leadership gift is resonating with other people. So whatever you're going to lead, don't lead with what or with a how. Because I'm telling you, you can find a lot of good models and templates and programs out there. And you can exhaust yourself trying to apply them to your church. You know, I believe in this too. It's... As a church planner, um, I'm claiming, uh, laying claim to probably the worst church plant in the body of Christ in Christendom. When we planted the Father's house, we had no money, no strategy, no city church, no core team, no facility. Did I mention no money? And, and so I began to go, when we started just... God help us. And then we started pre-ARC, okay? So this is, in fact, I got some funny stories. We had Pastor Chris Hodges and Rick Bizette at our church right before they started theirs. And so when, when ARC fired up, I'm like, I'm all in. We've been a part of church ever since they started. 
But, but when we started, um, I really didn't know how to do church or leadership teams. So I started traveling to Saddleback and Willow Creek and everywhere I could go. Gateway. I mean, I'd go to every conference I could go to and learn and glean, which is a, a positive thing. I would encourage you to do that. But here's the danger. If you start just applying all the what's and the hows of 50 great churches in the nation, you're going to lose who you are in that. You're going to get so frustrated because, you know, you go down to elevation, they're doing it one way, and you go over here and they're doing it another way, and you take this good idea and that good idea. But if you get caught up in the what's in the house without being very clear on your why, something will happen. You will lose traction and you'll lose some motivation in the journey. Amen? Let's move on here a little bit. A strong God-breathed why is our greatest catalyst for people to join, partner, invest, and stay connected and ultimately give their lives for it. The power of a why can change the world. The power of why in your church will change your community. So get that strong. Dig down deep. God, what have you called us to do? And then as you press into that, you're going to see some fruit. So here's a couple questions I'll leave you with the why. Is your why strong and clear? Is your why very strong and clear right now in your ministry? What level of passion is driving the why? For all those church planners that lifted your hand a few minutes ago, I sure hope you're about a 9 or 9.5. <laughs> you need to be in Jesus' name. All right? What level of passion? And then, do you need to redig the wells of God's why for your church and ministry? You need to redig those wells. Because listen, your why is your well. And the enemy comes in. Well, let's think about that for a minute. I won't preach the sermon, but Genesis 26. Isaac received an inheritance from his father, and it was wells. When God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing in all the nations of the earth. I'm going to make you the wealthiest man on the globe. You know how he did it? He gave water. It was water. So he gave the wells to his son, because back in the day, if you had the water, you had the herds and the flocks, you had the people, you had the influence and power, and you had all the money. So the water represented everything with authority and the blessing of God. So what did the enemy, in the way of the Philistines, come in to do? They began to plug up the wells. And when the wells got plugged up, all of a sudden this guy Isaac becomes disillusioned and he thinks, you know what? I think I'm going to go down to Egypt. Because down in Egypt, they got water and they got food. And it was during the time of famine in his homeland. So he's ready to leave his inheritance leave his wells and just go where everybody else was going, go down to Egypt where there's a buffet and an open bar. But as he takes off, God said, no, you go back. And you go home, go to the land where I planted you, and I will bless you in that land. So what did he do? He went back, and you guys know these verses. He re-dug and he re-named the wells. Let me just speak this over a few guys in the room. I've been leading and pastoring for a while. The enemy, enemy comes in and he begins to plug up the wells of vision for your church through discouragement and delay, which turns into disillusionment. And if you get delayed enough, people leave, the money's not there, you start to get discouraged. Pretty soon the well, which is your why, it's your covenant promise, gets clogged up with all kinds of things. And you just want to move to somewhere else. You just want to try something else or get me out of here. When the Lord might be saying, listen, those wells are a covenant inheritance. Your father gave those to you. The enemy's gone, he's blood goes up. Why don't you go dig up what I gave you in the first place? Let me just challenge you with this thought, because I, I believe in the prophetic. I believe all the gifts of the Spirit are going today. I believe God will speak to you prophetically and He'll confirm it. But that prophetic word that God gave you about that church plant, that's your inheritance. I, I bet if we had every church planter in this room stand up and take this wireless mic and tell us, why did you want to start a church in that city? What was it? Why did you pick that town? Why did you go from being a successful businessman or a pretty good worship leader or whatever you were, and now you're going to do some very, very crazy, insane thing like plan a church? And it would come down to this, a conversation. You would say, I met with God. He spoke to me. He gave me a city. There was this moment. 
and it was a conversation that represented a covenant. And that covenant conversation, that's your well. So whatever that well is, if it's, if it's not flowing with passion and intensity, go dig it up. Like I said, we just celebrated 20 years. We started making people in the living room, and God's been gracious. Right now, in this season of our church, we are coming into a season, I believe all our leadership team, the evidence around us, it's the most momentum and growth and opportunity we've seen in 20 years. And I've been up there a few years, 60s right around the corner. The Lord spoke to me a few months ago because I'm praying about delayed promises. This is way off my nose, but someone needs to hear this. How do you know that between the vision and the fulfillment, there's always a waiting period? And let's sit back and say, though the vision carries, you wait for it because it will come to pass. It will not delay. But God gave me some covenant promises. He gave me a well when we planted our church 20 years ago. And I remember the place I was sitting. I was in a convertible Volkswagen Rabbit Cabriolet. Oh yes, it's a chick high school sophomore girl car all day long. That's what I am. And I rock it. <laughs> I'm sitting in my Volkswagen Cabriolet as a church planner. We don't have a facility. We don't have any money. Did I mention that? We have no team. So I would park in this field out along the interstate because I was living in the spare bedroom with my mother-in-law. And beside me, this was pre, you know, Google Apps and study guides and by Gateway Bible. This was back in the day. We had commentaries this thick. So I had my commentaries and my Bibles, and I would sit in this field, and I would study to go preach to these 35 days confused people that met in a, a cafeteria. You know the ones that smell like lunch in gym socks. You know the ones. Anyway, so we're, we're getting ready to have church in the cafeteria. And while I'm sitting there in this field, the Lord has a conversation with me about what He wants to build in Vacaville, California, of all places. I won't take you through the whole story. Fast forward, the field that I used to sit in, in the Volkswagen Cabriolet and study, 17 years later, God gave us that same field, 22 acres, and now there's two freeways that go on each side of it. And a year ago, we just finished our main campus on that same piece of land. It's, but it's been, it's been 20, it's been 20 years. So I don't say that to discourage the church planners, but maybe for those of you who've been at it for a decade or better, don't let the enemy stuff the well full of discouragement and disillusionment. I went through a deal, I had late stage hepatitis, liver failure, almost died back in 2012, 2013, and that, that was quite a run. But before that, I, I dealt with years of, of depression. And uh, I remember I used to leave the church parking lot, and I, I get so depressed, I couldn't figure out where to go to eat lunch. And I was trying to figure out, uh, at that time, how to design a church of about 4,000 people, and leave town, and nobody find out about it. Pretty <laughs> that wasn't gonna work. <laughs> But here, here's what I'm saying to somebody. The discouragement and the disillusionment, you know what that was? That was the enemy just stuffing garbage on a well of purpose that God had for us. But if you stay around long enough and don't do things that are too stupid, I mean, you're going to do some dumb stuff, but just don't do stuff that's too stupid. If you just stick around, you'll be amazed what God will do to your life. There's a well in you. There's a well for your city. Your inheritance is bigger than you because the water that's going to flow out of your church plant, the water that's going to flow out of that house, it's going to feed starving, thirsty people that are far from God. So it's so much bigger than us, isn't it? So anyway, the great rant. I don't know where I started. don't know where I'll end. But anyway, we're going to talk about leadership in a moment. Oh, one more thing. So I'm with the Lord a couple months ago. And stage of life, age of our church, age of Pastor Dave, the Lord speaks to me. This to me he says, you're going to have an amazing fourth quarter. It's an amazing fourth quarter. I'm a Rams fan. We're going to see a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, in your life, in your journey, you're going to be a fourth quarter I'm eating the greens, I'm eating the kale, I'm going to the gym, I'm doing the stuff. Can't wear the skinny jeans, but oh well. <laughs> I'm saying that the why never goes away. The purpose of God is a covenant promise, and it's not going anywhere. So, so dig it up. Don't let the enemy take you out. Amen? Hey, here's what it says in 1 Timothy, talk about leadership training right here. Uh, can, you, can you hit the slide over there on there? Ah, there we go. Leadership pipeline. 
So here's our why for training leaders. This is going to apply. I'm going to blow through these pretty fast, and we're going to have some Q&A. Here's our why for training leaders. We believe God has given us the grace and authority to bring a significant change to the spiritual climate of California through church plants and new Father's House campuses. This will only happen as we equip and deploy high-capacity leaders that carry the DNA of the house. Okay? Now, some version of that is what you're carrying. That's ours, and we're not being grandiose. There's hundreds of thousands of great churches in California, a lot of friends in Northern California doing a great job. Our friend Jason Laird planning his church in San Francisco this week. But we believe God has given us the grace and authority to make that change. It's not going to happen without high-quality leadership. It's the same thing for, for your life and ministry. Whatever God's given you, you have to have leaders to pull it off. Um, did I pass a verse of Scripture? Where was it? Did you guys see it? Ah, uh, yes. You know this verse, but I want to give you a couple words to write down if you know takers. This is our leadership verse. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to trust those to reliable people will also be qualified to teach us. You guys know this verse, but let's just think about that for a moment in light of your team, in light of what you're building. And here's four words I want you to write down. Identify, qualify, entrust, multiply. This is the process that we all have to go through, need to go through. It's very effective. But in this verse, you'll find within it contained the, really the template for leadership development, leadership pipeline. Identify, that is, got to have a system to prove who's faithful and reliable. And then we're going to qualify them. That's another measure of an entrusted authority. And then the third one is entrust. Okay, so identify, qualify, entrust. You know, you'll never multiply a leadership team in your church until you entrust them with the authority that you have. And then when you entrust that next level, you have to take that authority from them and put it on the shoulders of somebody else. You can never multiply a leadership team if you're kind of a, I can do it all, control freak, you know, that guy, leader. I mean, those kind of leaders never really multiply. Uh, if you micromanage everything, we've got to entrust. And then once we identify, qualify, and entrust, that is when we will multiply. So that's just a process for you to work through. You can kind of develop those thoughts. So I want to just show you something here that will apply to you. Um, the why of leadership. How many of you guys have established churches have some form of intern program, leadership training program? We have It's quite a few. They're all over the nation. If you don't have them, you probably will. I love them. We've done an intern program for about 15 years now. I know some friends here that have a great Bible college. And so leadership training. But here's what we were doing. We trained first-year interns, and a couple times we started a second-year intern program, and then we realized we're just trying to find some better teaching and a few things for them to do around the church. So we had this long discussion with our lead team, what is the why of continuing to train leaders, and what will motivate them to lead? So it's out of that that we develop leadership pipeline, and I'll just run through this. The end game uh, in our in our current situation is this. Uh, we're right now meeting with interest groups. We've identified our pastor. We're going to be planting in a certain section of San Francisco in 2018. So we'll just use the church plan in SF for this template. But it's a two-year program, okay? Don't lean in. Leadership development takes time, passion, and a lot of your energy. It really does. There's no way to train leaders without you as the lead team, lead pastors, lead couples, investing a lot of time and effort. It doesn't happen overnight. You can get a lot done in two years for sure. So regarding our pipeline that we're doing out at the Father's House, it's a two-year program to get to church plant time. So I'll just run through a couple of these. In our discussion, we said this. If we're going to plant a church in San Francisco or Roseville or Orange County or Mars, what would be the components that make the difference? In other words, we use the, the thing of DNA, so the two-phase DNA. What are the, the main DNA component, components? We came up, first of all, with these seven non-negotiables for the initial plan. And that, they might line up with yours. And it would be, um, you have the spiritual authority, the campus pastor, you've got the worship department, you've got kids, of course, you can't start or exist without small groups, that's huge. All of its production on the weekend, everything you see in here. And then grow traffic connections, that's that's under one area uh, for the church plan. Of course, guest services, dream team. Now, what are each 
one of those titles. They're a person. They're not a position. They're a leader that's been trained. So we thought, okay, if we're going to successfully extend the kingdom of God and extend the DNA that God's given us, the grace that God's given us, then we've got to train up leaders in those seven areas. So based on the end game and the why of leadership development, we reverse engineered it and developed a two-year plan. Uh, the end game is this. We're planning to uh, start more campuses. We've got one starting in January. Two church plants in 2018. And then as we send out leaders, uh, we have to restock the local teams. So kind of a backfill there. Network churches and, and international issues. Let me ask you something. If you're doing any kind of leadership training in your church, sit down with your team and go, what's the end game? I would imagine if you're like us, we're like, well... We want people to go through the growth track, right? Want people to be members, yeah. We want them to tithe. Don't forget that. It's important. Tithe. Got money in <laughs> And then we realized, wow, beyond those kind of three levels, it kind of came off fairly quickly. So we realized this. In our church and in yours, there's high-capacity future pastors, leaders, church planners, entrepreneurs that need the bar set a little bit higher. Oh. So we developed a second year and a school leadership and church school to um, to really take the end game a bit further. Uh, this is just our little track, and I'll mention it. Once our church line gets to 300 plus, that's our critical mass number, we add community outreach, uh, we love our city, uh, youth pastor, and a full-time admin. So... Two years out, we have first-year interns in training. We have Timothy Group. Um, that's a hand-selected group that I, I meet with for 18 months. They've been identified with Bible ministry. And then 18 months out, we're going to identify the city. For instance, in San Francisco, our key leader, Tim and Robin Biddle, are our church planners. Uh, and so one year out from launch day, uh, we've got interest meetings that are happening. A launch team is being identified. Uh, in training, we have our first years of already been training. Timothy groups in training. Now the second years have started in training. So that's a year out from the launch. Nine months out from the launch, starting something we're calling church school, which is a hands-on, every week, practical values, and then actually practicing new church together. And so, as nine months out, these groups here are all in church school, all in training at the same time. First year interns, two or three second year interns, church school. And then at the end of that time, it's go time. I know I ran through a lot there. All that to say, once we decided that, you know what, God has raised us back to the why, why are we in Northern California? We're not here just to hold down one location or get a few people and be happy. You know, I, I used to think this is a church planner. If we could just get to 500, I think we're going to survive. And you have this delusion too. Oh no, when we get to 1,000, our problems are going to disappear. Right? We get to 1,500, we're not going to have money problems. We get to 2,000, we're not going to have building problems. And we, by the time we got to three or 4,000, I realized there's no magic number. There's only more people, which equals what? More more pain. More pain you have, the more pain you have. And that's just reality. But here, then we start to realize, wait a minute. God has called us not to evaluate our capacity based on our current numbers and locations, but like I three who did the 7-7, but I love what it said. It's based on the need. So now we're building churches and systems based on those who are not here yet. So we're allowing the why to drive the vision and then that vision to determine what we need to do to train leaders. So here's some homework for you. If you're here and you're a church planner, you're a certain area of this journey, you're here and your church is 10 to 15 years old, what do you believe God wants you to grow into and become in the next five years? Let's think about this. I like a five-year window. What does God call you to do with your church in the next five years? Think about it. Pray about it. Meet with your team. Write it down. Use a grease board. Erase it and rewrite it. But get clear. Get real clarity on why you exist as a church. Once you get that down, then reverse engineer back and say, okay, if we're going to accomplish this, then what kind of leader is it going to take? And then what's it going to look like to train them? What's the midway training look like? How do we start and then begin that leadership track? Or even if you have one already, 
redesign it to accomplish the end game. Are you guys happy with this? So I'll just encourage you with that. And let me just one more thing. And I don't know how we're doing for time. Okay, I want to open up for Q and A for a couple minutes. Once we started having this discussion, the Holy Spirit did something. You guys ever figured this out? We think we're waiting on God in a lot of areas. And many times he's just waiting for us to kind of work the wine skin out, you know, and then fill it up. Once we started developing this leadership pipeline and rethinking leadership development, God's done something crazy in the last six months. Young leaders in our church are popping up out of the world. We've got more interns in school leadership students than we've ever had. Why? Because now there's an in-game vision and it's being resonated in them with the why. We started talking about reaching cities, raising up pastors, training young church planters and preachers, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is bringing together an army of people like, yeah, I'm on that team, let's do this, amen? So lead with the why, develop a leadership pipeline. Hey, let's take a few minutes and just talk about being a leader, leadership, who's going to be the bold person, first question, ready to go. Come on, any Q&A on this stuff right here, sir, with the beer. So what's your recommendation for brainstorming? So what would be your recommendation with brainstorming with your leadership team how to create that sense of unity around your why? Like, okay, maybe you're just doing church, right? How do we get that team of leaders around and how do we, do we brainstorm that? How, what does that look like? How, how does we develop that? That's good. I love it. It's a great question. I would say, you know, something we've done, and, and take a, a page from Pastor Chris and some of the archives. We start every year 21 days of fasting and prayer. And then sometimes during the year, God calls us. We just finished a 10-day leadership fast. But, but to your question, I think fasting and prayer and coming around the table to say, guys, we need to redig the well of the unity and the vision, if, if that's what you're tapping into, so that this is so strong in us that we can't neglect it. Ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And how many know the Holy Spirit works through the leader? So it primarily rests on the shoulders of the lead pastor. Uh, I, my role is vision caster and equipper of leaders. That's, that's my role, communicator. Um, but I have to be the one to carry that initial passion. And then it's on the shoulders now of a lead team. But I would say fasting and prayer. And then just not being willing to move forward with status quo. If anybody in the room you feel like your church has hit a lid, hit status quo, I would just throw a flare. I don't know how, how you're wired, but here's how I'm wired as a leader. I hate getting stuck. Don't you just hate getting stuck? I don't want to be stuck at 200 or 2,000. I don't want to be stuck anywhere without going, God, there's a, there's a ceiling here we need to break through. So when we hit that ceiling, we come around fasting and prayer, we meet together, and we brainstorm and say, what is it going to take? What do, we, what do we need to do next? And God's faithful to go, do here, move this, go there, yeah. Somebody else? Just want to get on front of your chat. So, what's, uh, what's one characteristic that you can leave every year to Is that mic on? So, what's one characteristic that you believe every leader should possess? That's a great one. Okay, we want to go biblical. Sure, why not? Bible solid. <laughs> it is required among stewards, which is what you are. You be found. Hey, I was a traveling musician going through Bakersfield back in the late '80s with a band out of airspeed and altitude, and ready to quit ministry and go back on drugs. True story. I sat down with an old pastor, and he looked me in the face and said, "Dave, you'll be surprised what God will do with your life if you just keep showing up." Okay. I've carried that word since the late 80s. You'd be surprised. So faithfulness. And I would say for every lead pastor and church planner, Holy Spirit resilience. I, th- I think that's got to be one of the top qualities. I mean, we could do a list of seven, but just someone who says, hey, I'm in this thing. I'm not turning back. I think uh, Jed mentioned it. You got your hand on the plow. Like, I'm committed. Hand on the plow. I'm not, I'm not looking the other way. Praise God. Yeah, it's here on the front. When you're developing um, lead teams, I don't know if it be your Timothy group, but you're, you're walking with um, over an 18-month period of time, does that look more like discipleship? Does it look more like leadership? I know those are on the same 
point two sides. Is there a curriculum, or are you just trying to really go deep on DNA? Good. Um, how does that look? Great question. All of the above. And this might serve some of you today. I've been doing this for about, I guess, about 13 years. But we do an 18-month track, and I meet with our lead team, and I say we do 20s the lid. But I want 10 couples or a combination of couples and singles. I spend 18 months with them, but here's the caveat. They have to be identified by one of our pastors as being a young couple, young person that has five-fold ministry calling. So once they're identified and proven and qualified, like we mentioned there, so they're serving somewhere, by invitation, and we spend 18 months together. During that 18 months, we'll read seven or eight great books. I, I go through some teachings, some other people teaching some doctrine and foundations of New Testament church and things. The big thing is I'm pouring now 34 years of life in, in ministry into them and, and training them with all I have. And then the last uh, six months, we do communication. So we'll read Andy Stanley's Communicating for Change and three or four books on being a communicator. We, uh, we build sermons together. Uh, one person will get up and preach a portion of a sermon. The others will critique and applaud. And so it's just a lot of combination. But the key is this. We identify them. It's a high commitment level. And then for 18 months, they're the Timothy cell. And, and the goal is this. I'm talking to every one of them. And it's, uh, it's three Tuesday nights a month. But three out of four Tuesday nights a month, I'm talking to them like future pastors and church planners. And it's amazing. Out of that group now, 12, 13 years, out of T-cell, we call it T-cell, I look around our staff, every one of our pastor staff came through it. Church planners have come through it. So, I mean, it, but it took, you know, it's a 13-year process. But So, yeah, there's a lot there, but hopefully that answered your question. Discipleship, it's training, it's DNA, it's doctrine, it's, it's all the above. I would encourage you guys to maybe, if you don't have one of those, to think about just really that, really just start that kind of a, a Paul-Timothy model. Yeah. Got a cap back there. So I, I, I'm real big on that one reading as well. We've got 30 years of ministry experience for me. Um, is there a way that like we can just shake that from you? Like just straight up <laughs> folk yeah. style, rip it I like it. Like, I believe I'm laying it. Drag drop. You know what I mean? Like, like the, the books, the, the teachings that you give, yeah. the process, the, the whole point, like the, the two-year plan. Sure. Here's, here's how we live. This, this is going to serve somebody else in the room besides the guy with the hat on. Um, I love that cat. Here's the thing. We have a philosophy, some of you in the room that know us know this. Our, our whole, the way we operate, the way we flow is this. We believe that everything God puts in our hands is to give away. We believe that the table that God gave us is to invite whosoever will. So everything, the curriculum, the stuff, I tell people, take our teachings, our writings, mutate it, put your logo and your face on it, call it your own. Uh, so everything we have, we give it to you as best we could. Whether that's you come up and hang out and we'll have lunch together and ask a thousand questions or send you a curriculum. So we just give away everything we have. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. <laughs> checking you guys' music protocol. So, yeah, all that to say, come hang out with us or we'll just... We'll just send you whatever we could. Let me just say something to you to the 30 years because, like I said, I'm going to have a strong fourth quarter. But I want to encourage some young guys in the room. Usually you're going to pastor 10 to 15 years before you find your groove and really make a swath in your city. But don't, don't eliminate the fact that God's using the Stephen Furtick's and Judah Smith's and go down the list of guys. Well, Judah's up there close to 40 now. But when he was in his late 20s, he was, he was hitting it out of the park. But don't, don't eliminate the fact that if you're here today and you're 31 years old, you can build a dynamic church before you're 35. And there's guys in this conference who are rocking it, thousands of people. So you don't have to wait till you're my age to hit the sweet spot for sure. You can be in your 30s, you can be a two-year church planner and be making a huge impact. I believe this, this is more prophetic. God is accelerating in this age, in this decade, in years to come. He's accelerating in the body of Christ. What used to take a decade is going to take a year. Churches that used to take 20 years to grow to 5,000, he's going to grow to 5,000 in three to four years. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is imminent. And there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so he's serious. If you're serious with him, he's serious about you planning a, a life-giving church in a hurry because there's multitude standing in the body of decision and they need your church. In Jesus' name. It's on. There's several of your
I guess we're following the mic now. The mic is being led by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> There's a hand there. It's over here. Here we go. Do you mind giving just rapid fire some of the books that you read through? You know, I, I'm horrible at memory recall, but I know we've done Courageous Leadership, Bill Hybels. Uh, uh, oh, Tale of Three Kings, always. That made him read through that several times. Uh, Communicating for a Change, Andy Stanley. Uh, Principle of the Path, Stanley, maybe. Um, and there's so many other good ones I'm missing out on. Oh, Oswald Chambers, um, his class on leadership, we use that one. Um, there's there's probably a, about 10 books, I've probably mentioned four or five, that the T-sellers will read over the course of the 18 months, along with I give them teaching notes every time they show up. And uh, we just try to download them and inundate them and you know, see what happens. When you go through your leadership pipeline, at what point do you feel like it's a case of release? It's not actually doing it yourself, and actually feel like they're capable of writing. Great question, and this would apply to everybody in the room. I think you release everybody early, you re release them in the interim, and you release them at the end of the day. Thought being is, we're always releasing somebody to some capacity of authority that they're not carrying yet. Okay, so maybe that's kids ministry. Maybe that's hold a sign in the parking lot because they just got off from that, whatever. But we're always releasing the next level of authority. But as far as a church planter, uh, if that would be your, your reference there, that's the full process. Uh, and anybody who released a plant or be a campus pastor, they've walked with us for years and years. Um, so it just depends on what level. But we're always releasing people to the next level. And um, so just, to, I guess it would determine exactly, hopefully that's not too far to get an answer. Release them early, man. Yeah. Just talk loud. Oh, yeah. um, so you mentioned before about um, leadership dynamics. You mentioned about administrational leaders and visionary leaders. Mm -hmm. I'm more administrational. My husband's visionary. And it clashes. Compliments sometimes. But finding in our team, we have a lot of strong personalities. So I don't administration from a visionary. Administration don't focus as much on life. So can you just give me an explanation of how those dynamics Totally. I hope you've heard that question. Her husband's a visionary, she's administrative. Sometimes they clash, how do we work together? You have to have both. If you have a visionary leader without a strong administrative team around them, it just blows up in the wind. You have to have somebody connecting the dots and paying the bills and making sure we have a plan and a strategy to the vision. But I, I'm a huge fan of team ministry. So, I, and, I, and every great leader I think understands this, that no matter how visionary they are, charismatic, what level of communication, maybe they're a great preacher, unless they have the right administrative people and strategic people around them, they're never going to get there. Yeah. So I think the way that you work with that is team meetings. Here's a tip for somebody. People ask me, you know, because our church is growing and we're thriving, God's blessing. 20 years we've never had a church split. 20 years we've never lost a pastor to moral failure. And I boast of the Lord. 20 years we've never had a schism. 20 years of grace on our church. And people go, how do you do that? I'm going to tell you. We fast, but every Wednesday morning, we sit around the table and we pray for each other. And we confess sin. And, and we just seek God together. And then we sit around the table on Tuesday afternoon for three hours and strategize about the church. But the combination of prayer keeps a humility where we recognize the need for each other's gifts. And the strategy implements those gifts. So it's got to be both. It's both hands. So, but man, the church's need. I, the people on my team, I would collapse in a heap in the parking lot without them in, in, a, in a week. So the team is so important. Yeah. I have one like here. Last question, I guess, right here. Um, in regards to your leadership development of your team, the years you've done it, um, did, have you ever looked back to, oh, that was a mistake, I had to make an adjustment there? Are you willing to share, like, maybe in that respect, the leadership development side, oh, I needed to tweak that, or yeah. Yeah, that, didn't, that didn't pan out as good as I thought. That's an amazing question. And the answer is yes, weekly. Um, as far as sharing some of the leadership mistakes, I'll just share one because there's too many to pick from. Uh, but I'll give you a tip here for those of you who want it. Uh, when it comes to responding to bitter, angry people or responding to emails, someone told me this a long time ago, Dave, write the email that you respond, because I love responding to haters and critics firsthand. And in church bars of 7,000 on the weekend, when they get a response from me within a couple hours, it does freak them out. I enjoy that. But 
there's a tip. I always write the email and I shrink it down to the corner of my desktop and I leave it alone for a day. Sometimes I don't love. But I leave it alone until I pray and then I bring it back up and read it. And, and I'm talking about responses too. So that's been something that I didn't do early and say would be I just barked right in to tell them what I thought in Jesus' name. <laughs> Punch them in the face, you know? Yeah, that's right. You know, and that, that was wrong. So God's timidity. But let me give you one mistake that I made. This this did resonate for some of you guys. I a couple times I trusted another leader on the way up to recommend an elder or pastoral position that I was hesitant on. But because I'm, that's my personality, I like to defer leadership. I don't want to be the control freak, monarchy, you know, David the top of the food chain thing. So I have a tendency, a propensity to give away authority that I should keep. And I've made a few times where I put people in key positions, a couple of elders. Let me just say, it's much harder to be elder and elder than to elderize one. <laughs> and I, had, I, I made a couple of, of wrong decisions based on input from somebody with good intentions, but it was never their call to make that choice in his mind. When I deferred that to somebody else, it came around and bit me the rear a couple times. So I went all the decisions that are yours, delegate everything else you can. But we made some, here's the key, here's the key. If you'll be a humble enough leader, get people around you, when you do screw things up and go, oh, mess that one up, get it out on the table, there's always grace for recovery. Almost always. So recognize those mistakes, talk about them, and I've learned from somebody else's too. Amen. Hey, love you guys. Thanks for being a part of this. Hopefully, you got some of the Christmas. Love the church every day.